Good morning, good morning. We are so happy that you are with us. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Alan Pittman. I have the pleasure and privilege of serving as senior pastor and one of the elders here. As I mentioned a moment ago, if you'll go ahead and put up the Guatemala picture, as I mentioned a moment ago, we're praying for a mission team that's going to Portland. Well, obviously, if you didn't sign up for it, you don't get to go. It's already done, you know. But if you're interested in going with us in June, it'll be the first week of June. We're leaving, I believe, on June 1st. We're going to be going to Guatemala to lead a missionary kids camp. And we went last year as a church. I've been several years with my family. We would love for you to come be a part of it. Perhaps you're not really sure what it might be like. Just come to this meeting that we're having in two weeks, two weeks from today on February the 4th, right after the service, we'll be meeting in the fellowship room. We'll be going over what we're doing, what the costs are, what the logistics are. And if you think you may remotely be interested, come to that meeting. This is not just for people that know they're going because you don't even know what we're doing on the trip yet, right? Come be a part of that. We want to send a strong team. We need about 10 or 12 from our church to go to be on this missionary team. So hopefully you can make plans to be a part of that. Uh, one other thing I want to say real quickly by way of announcement, and that is we had a great start to, to uh, equ equipping classes today. I'm not sure if the ladies' class is full yet or not. Are y'all full? Okay, they're full. So there is still room if you're interested in being in one of the Sunday morning groups, but we would ask you to go ahead and be here next week. Like, don't miss a bunch of weeks. Like, go ahead and jump in. So if you did not sign up for an equipping class, you don't know what that's about, go to our website, catch me afterwards. We'd love for you to jump in, be a part of it. We've got one on Christian disciplines. We have one on the minor prophets. We have one for college students, and we have one for youth and one for children on Sunday mornings. Hope you can be a part of it. All right, my voice sounds a little raspy, so I had to get a little water there. Hopefully when you came in, you got a worship guide, and on the back of the worship guide is a place where you can take notes. And if you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to go ahead and get that out. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there should be a hardbound black copy of, a, of God's Word uh, near you, uh, in a seat near you, underneath you, whatever. Use that. If you need that or know someone in your life that does need one, be uh, sure and take that home with you. That'll be our gift to you. This morning, we're going to start a two-part series. That's not much of a lengthy series, obviously, but it's a two-part series on what it means to live out our vision statement. Um, and then we're going to start Micah uh, after that. So here's a little pop quiz. I'm going to ask you, if you are a part of our church, you might know this answer, hopefully you do. And, and I'm going to ask you to actually say it out loud confidently if you know it. And I want to know, don't say it yet, what the vision statement is for our church. And here is a hint. The first word is B, like B-E, Okay. So there we go. Are you, oh, it's already up there. There you go. All right. We'll read it together. There we go. Here we go. Let's read it together. Be a disciple. Make disciples. Be the church to the glory of God. Thank you very much. Y'all were smart. Y'all should have told me. You should have just quoted it because I got a Blake screen back there. I'm going, oh my goodness, everybody in the room knows it. Here's the deal. Hopefully, no, it's all good. I didn't plan that. I didn't tell you. So it's, you did the right thing. I did the wrong thing. I was trying to do something clever and it didn't work figure that. So here's the deal. The reason I was going to see if you could quote it is because it's one thing to memorize it. It's another thing to live it out. Like we can sit here all day long and quote that and say, isn't it cool that we know that statement is kind of catchy. We don't want to just rattle, off, rattle it off. We want to live it out in our lives. So my prayer is that living hope would glorify God by being a church 
that's full of disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. And so this morning, we're going to look at that portion of our vision statement, be a disciple and make disciples, and understand what it's all about. And at the top of your outline, you'll see that the title is The Gospel in Disciple Making. And I'm using that phrase, disciple making, instead of discipleship, because discipleship typically means that a person's already a follower of Jesus, and he or she is being more and more like Jesus. And that's only half of the equation when it comes to disciple making. Because disciple-making also involves evangelizing or telling others about Jesus, seeing them come to faith through God's grace by their faith in Jesus Christ, and then discipling them to grow as a follower of Jesus. So I need to not only be a disciple, but I also need to be making disciples. And so disciple-making, how is the gospel connected to that whole process. Hopefully, you're already thinking of answers because the gospel is instrumental. There is no disciple-making without the gospel. But, but I want us to see maybe how it's even more practical and more inclusive in all aspects of disciple-making than we may already realize. So I want to kind of set up where we're going. We're going to be reading out of 2 Timothy, which is in the New Testament. And we see in 2 Timothy, which is written by Paul to one of his younger men in the faith, uh, a disciple of his by the name of Timothy. That's why it's called 2 Timothy. It's the second letter he wrote to him. And, and Paul understands, the Apostle Paul understands, you, you're like, we just left Acts last week and here you're back at Paul again. Uh, Paul understands what it means to make disciples. You see, on his second missionary journey, he ran into Timothy and his family and then he invited Timothy to come along with him on his missionary journey. So he sees Timothy come to faith, and then he disciples him. And you can go back and look at Acts chapter 16 to see that. If you have 2 Timothy open, perhaps you see chapter 1, verse 2, which is not on the screen or on your paper, but on uh, chapter, two, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, To Timothy, my beloved child. It's not his son. Like, he didn't give birth. Oh, well, he did, sorry. Oh, my goodness. His wife didn't give birth to Timothy, right? Okay? He, it's not a biological son, but it's a spiritual son in the faith as he's shared the gospel with him, lived it out, walked alongside of him. And so he, this is a young protege, if you will, of Paul. And Paul's writing this letter from a prison cell in Rome, probably in about the year 64 or 65, and he's writing this letter to Timothy, who's pastoring a church in Ephesus. And he's trying to guide him and show him what to do. And I want to read chapter 2, verse 2, which is going to be kind of the emphasis verse we're looking at, and then we're going to look at some others beyond that. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 2. I know we're catching in the middle of a sentence, but here's what Paul says. Uh, Timothy, he's telling Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So in this verse, we see disciple-making at its finest. He says, pass on the things that you learned from me to others who will in turn do the same thing. If you see the word teach in verse 2, the word teach comes from the Greek word didasko. We talked about a similar word last week. And this word carries with it both formal teaching and informal teaching. So it's not just for those that are pastors or preachers or teachers or missionaries. It's like Howard said a moment ago, every follower of Jesus is to teach 
others. We're to instill doctrine that is sound with right belief. Uh, I meant to mention this last week and I didn't, but if you think about the Great Commission where Jesus sends his disciples and all followers of his to go share the gospel around the world in Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20, we see in those verses that Jesus says to them, go, make disciples, teach them to observe. And the word teach there is the same word, didasco. To make disciples necessitates that we teach others the faith. And in this verse, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, we see four generations, at least four generations of followers of Jesus, of disciples. Because we have Paul, who's talking to Timothy. He says, what you have heard from me, so there's two generations, Paul and Timothy. Now you're to go out and tell others, that's the third generation, who in turn will also go tell others. So the idea of being a disciple maker is not just that relationship with one-on-one and we're like we kind of like our holy bubble and we're together and reading God's word together no it's I'm making a disciple who in turn makes a disciple who in turn makes a disciple does that make sense so that's vital as we talk about what it means to be the church one that is being disciples and making disciples also I want you to see one other thing in verse 2 it says that he is to entrust the message to faithful men. It's not just men, it's women as well. So we're to share the gospel with faithful people. And so I want us to be really careful when we think about disciple making. Share the gospel with everyone, yes. Encourage everyone, yes. But invest your life in someone that you're discipling that is faithful and likely to pass it on to someone else. So I've got a question for you. Are you faithful to the gospel. Paul says to Timothy, you teach others that are faithful, so they'll teach others. So I'm simply asking you, are you faithful to the gospel? Living it out, believing it, preaching it, teaching it, sharing it, forgiving others, asking for forgiveness. Are you faithful? All right. So that's kind of verse 2 that gets us going. Now I want us to kind of get to the heart of verse 2 and the rest of those verses. And here's what it is. I want to encourage you to be a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples. And I know that on the screen and on the page it says by, B-Y dot dot dot. But let's focus without the word by for just a second. We are to be a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples. So we need to do that. But in order to do that, we need to know how we're doing it. And so that's why I've got the word by there, dot, dot, dot. And then all the notes underneath it pertain to how the gospel is utilized so that we can be a disciple who's making disciples, who are making disciples, who are making disciples. So let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Because leading up to 2 Timothy 2, 2, he says some things that kind of sets the ground level for it, all right? Chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Paul tells Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The first way that we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples is by holding fast to the gospel. We are to hold fast to the gospel. How are we to hold fast to the gospel? And how do I get get that from these verses? If you look at verse 13, 
In verse 13, Paul says that Timothy is to follow him. He's to follow his pattern. And the word in the ESV is sound words. And depending on your translation, it may say sound teaching. It could say whole teaching. There's a different way to translate it. But the idea is that what we teach and how we disciple people need to be grounded in the gospel. We, we don't have a message to relay outside of the truth of God's word. And so as we make disciples, it needs to be grounded and based on God's word, the gospel. He was to follow Paul's example and teach the gospel. So my prayer is that as your pastor, as one of your elders, the other elders that are our church, part of our church, our hope group leaders, our, our equipping class leaders, anybody within our church that we are leading men and women to consistently follow the pattern that's been set up in Scripture, including Paul's pattern of holding fast to the gospel and teaching and training others in the truth of the gospel. We're to follow this pattern. May we never be found guilty of walking away from sound doctrine. You're like, Alan, like, why would we? Have you... Got any friends that may go to other churches? By the way, there are a ton of good churches in town that follow the scripture. We are not the only one. But have you seen how all too many churches and denominations are beginning to cave and not follow sound doctrine because the world wants us to compromise the truth of God's word? So I'm not saying that we're some kind of warrior. Well, we are a warrior for Christ in a good sense, but we're not like, we're not all alone. Don't be like Elijah who got done at Mount Carmel and say, Lord, I'm the only one left. Go ahead and kill me. And God says, wake up. There's a lot of followers still. I'm not saying there's not other followers in other churches and denominations. I'm simply saying if we're not careful, we'll follow a pattern of compromising the gospel. We need to hold fast as a church and as individuals to correct belief. There's a word we use for correct belief or right belief. Perhaps you've heard it before, orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is right belief. But not only are we to have right belief, we should also have the right attitude, and that's critical. Look with me in verse 14. After 13, he says that we're to, well, actually, it's in 13. Sorry, it's in 13 as well. In 13, he talks about how we're to keep the pattern of the sound words. The doctrine is to be pure and right. And then he says, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So as we uphold God's word, as we hold fast to the gospel, we need the right attitude. We need to have faith and love that is reflective of who Jesus Christ is. So the first way that we go about including the gospel and being disciples who make disciples who make disciples is by holding fast to the truth of God's word. But beyond that, then, we need to see the only way we can do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the second point that you'll see on your outline. We are to be a disciple who makes disciples by making disciples by guarding the gospel by the Holy Spirit. We are to guard the gospel by the Holy Spirit. You're like, what is that all about? I'm glad you asked me. We'll go back and look at verse 14. In verse 14, Paul says, after he says that we're to hold fast to the gospel, he says in verse 14, you're to do so by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, and you're to guard the good deposit entrusted to you. 
Paul tells Timothy to guard the good deposit entrusted to him. You're like, what is this good deposit? Like, I don't even have any money in my bank account. I don't have anything to deposit. What is this good deposit? The good deposit is Paul's way of saying everything correct doctrine and beliefs and the faith and the gospel, everything that is pure and right of God's word and the kingdom of God that has been put within you as you came to faith and as the Holy Spirit is growing you in that faith, be, be um, consistent with that and guard it so that you're holding fast to the gospel by actually guarding and protecting it. But it's not you that's guarding it. It's not you protecting it, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. You see, we've been entrusted with the gospel. And God is sovereign and his plans are not thwarted. They will move forward. The kingdom will advance. But he's asking us as followers of Jesus to be faithful, to hold to the gospel ourselves, and then guard it so that what we transmit to other people is consistent with the gospel truth. And then we have the right attitude while doing so. When the gospel is preached to someone and they believe in it, then we're guarding the gospel because it's being passed on to other generations. That's what he's getting at. In other words, we are to be personally vigilant to protect and pass the gospel on to others. I've never had the privilege of going to Europe. I mean, I've been in Paris in the airport as a layover on the way to Israel once, but that doesn't count. But I know that if you go to certain places in Europe, you can go into uh, a church building that's just beautiful. It's phenomenal. It's gorgeous. And all it is is a museum. If you're not careful, the same sort of things begin to happen in our country. What I'm saying is that we're to pass the gospel on to the next generation. We have a responsibility. And if our world and our country, I'm not talking politically, is not following God... Uh, our politics should be influenced by that so just there's caveats there i don't mean to be confusing but i'm not talking about where we're going as a country i'm talking about as a country are we following jesus and if we're not satisfied with how we're going then that's a reflective on our failure collectively to guard the gospel and pass it on to the next generation we're to guard the gospel by trusting the work of the holy spirit within us otherwise Satan will do everything in his power to disrupt and destroy the gospel's power. All right, we need to go to chapter 2, verse 1. This carries with it how we're to guard the gospel. It says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The way that we allow the Holy Spirit to work within us, the way that we guard the gospel is by being strengthened by the grace that Jesus gives to us as we live out the gospel. That brings us to verse 2. We read it a moment ago, and I want to read it again. Paul says, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So the next point on your outline is this. The way that we are being a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples is by entrusting the gospel to others. Paul says, what has been entrusted to you, what has been deposited in you, now you need to turn around and you need to pass it on to others. All too often, we think that being a disciple is all there is. 
Well, I'm supposed to be a disciple, so I'm going to sign up for this class. I'm a disciple, so I'm supposed to be praying. I'm a disciple, so I'm supposed to be reading the Bible. By the way, everything I'm listening is a good thing. I'm supposed to be a disciple, so I'm going to go to church. I'm supposed to be a disciple, so I'm going to do family devotions. I'm supposed to be a disciple. And so we, we keep it just within these four walls or just within ourselves. No, the reality is to be a disciple necessitates we do those things, but also that we make disciples as well. You see, being a disciple and not sharing the gospel with others is an incomplete understanding of what it means to be a disciple. A disciple automatically has the task, responsibility, privilege to share the gospel with others. So Paul says, entrust the gospel to others. We're to learn the gospel. We're to soak it in. We're to absorb it. But we're also to guard, protect, follow, and share it with others we must train others to follow jesus we're to pass it on we're to teach others and again i want to clarify when paul here talks about teaching others he's not talking to the preachers the apostles the 12 disciples he's not talking to the official church leaders he's talking to timothy yes who then extends it to everyone else under his um you know as a part of his church family so this applies to all of us as followers of jesus If you claim Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if you place your faith and your trust in him, then your job is to share the gospel with others to help us process this verse. I've got a couple of questions to ask you. The first one is this, are you entrusting the gospel to others? If being a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples means that we have to entrust the gospel to others, my question is, are you doing that very thing? And if so, that's amazing. And if so, is God leading you to do that with others? If not, then who is it in your life that God maybe is saying to you this morning and leading you to go, I need to begin to entrust the gospel with my coworker or my neighbor or my family member or my friend or my classmate? I want us to keep going. Not only are we to entrust the gospel to others, but we need to see what verses 3 through 7 say. Verses 3 through 7, he uses some illustrations of three different types of people to share what it means to be a disciple. In verse 3, it says, share in suffering as a good soldier. So he uses the example of a soldier. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. He goes to illustration number 2 in verse 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And then the third illustration he uses is in verse 6. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. We don't have time to unpack verses 3 and through 7 a bunch, but suffice it to say that in these illustrations, Paul uses the example of a soldier, a, a farmer, and um, an athlete. And those three, as he describes kind of difficulty as they come, as it comes, how they are to respond. And so what I want us to see in this next point is to be a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples. We do that by enduring by the gospel. Like we're to endure or move forward or work through the difficulties and sufferings and the challenges that come in life and just reality of everyday life by enduring in the gospel. Jesus talks about how 
the disciple is one who endures to the end. What he means by that is that salvation, saving faith, the gospel truth is what helps us to live out our faith from beginning to end. And if you want to be faithful as a follower of Jesus, then I challenge you to allow the gospel to empower you through the work of the Holy Spirit to endure until the end. The way that we endure challenges and difficulties in life is through the gospel. What I'm saying is the gospel not only saves us, but also the gospel sustains us. This morning in our um, spiritual disciplines class, we walked through God's grace. And we talked about how God's grace is experienced through justification, uh, sanctification, and glorification. Justification is that God's grace is what brings salvation. When we repent of our sins and trust in Jesus' finished work on our behalf. Sanctification is that process of growing in our faith and becoming more and more like Jesus. And glorification is when we get to heaven. What I'm saying is this enduring by the gospel or through the gospel is from the point of your salvation until you get into heaven, we're to live out a lifestyle of becoming more and more like Jesus. And if we're not careful, we turn that into works. Salvation does not come by works. And our walk with Jesus is not maintained by works. It's maintained by his grace. And because of his grace, then we do live out a life of, of works and acts. If you want to, jot down uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, which we won't look at on the screen, but maybe later you can look at that. It clarifies that salvation is only by grace, through faith, and not by works, lest anyone should boast. But then verse 10 says that we've been saved for good works. So what I'm not saying is you're saved without works, which is true, and therefore your relationship with God is not maintained by works, which is true, and so therefore just sit down and do nothing and just say, God's already forgiven me. That's not what I'm advising. That's not biblical at all. But what I am saying is that it's grace-driven at salvation, it's grace-driven at sanctification, and it's grace-driven at glorification. Don't make it about works. Trust in the work of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel. So the way that we live a life of obedience, the way that we endure in the faith, is by the gospel. Got a couple of questions in this section for you. The first one is this. As you face challenges in life, are you doing so by trusting in the gospel? I said that we're to endure by the gospel, so now I'm asking you, as you face challenges and difficulties in your life and in your faith, are you doing that by trusting in the gospel, or are you trying to trust in yourself? Or, or, and then the next question that I have is your relationship with others, and that is, are you helping other disciples to endure by following the gospel in their life. So I'm saying not only should you endure by the gospel, but you should also train others and teach others to endure by the gospel. So here's what I would challenge you with. As you have conversations with other believers, whether they're in this church family or at your workplace, as you have conversations with other believers, whether it be in an equipping class or a D group or a hope group, as you have conversations with other believers as you maybe serve alongside of them, 
preach the gospel to each other. And if you begin to hear somebody talk about the challenges of life and they deviate from the gospel and a solution to the thing they're facing, lovingly point them back to the gospel. See, you and I must endure to the end in our faith in Jesus Christ, and we only do so through the gospel. Let's look at verses 8 through 13. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. I want you to, no pun intended, I guess it is, though. I want you to remember the first word in verse 8, and the word is remember. It says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure, there's that word endure again, everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, Jesus, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. What I want us to see in this text, in these verses, is that we're to remember the gospel. And specifically what we're to remember the gospel is, we're to remember the gospel is unbound. The gospel is unbound. Part of holding fast, part of enduring to the end, part of guarding is to remember the gospel. So if we're to remember the gospel, we must, must first hear the gospel. Perhaps you've heard the gospel before, perhaps you've trusted in the gospel, perhaps you think you know the gospel, but maybe you get a bit confused on what the gospel is. So if I'm challenging you to remember the gospel, I want to lay out what the gospel is. And here is what the gospel is in its simplest forms that I can think of today. The Bible says that God created all of mankind, man, woman, boy, child. He's made us all, and he's made us for a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify him, to reflect his glory to the world, and to follow him. But then scripture tells us that from the very beginning, way back in Genesis and in our lives as well, that all of us are tempted to go our own way. All of us are tempted to tell God that he's not in charge. I will take the reins myself. And the reality is from the very beginning of time, everyone that's ever walked this earth and will walk this earth with the exception of Jesus Christ himself has sinned, has sinned multiple times that we are a sinner in need of forgiveness that God can have nothing to do with sin. But the good news is that God sent his son Jesus, and he's referenced there in verse 9 where he says, or 8, remember that Jesus Christ came and was risen from the dead. It points to the hope that's found in Jesus Christ because although we deserve death, we don't have to experience eternal separation from God if we'll trust in Jesus because Jesus has paid the price for us. See, Jesus lived a perfect life and yet was sacrificed and killed on a cross. But that's not the end of the story because Paul says we're to remember that he was risen because Jesus overcame sin and death and the grave. And if we'll trust in Jesus and his finished work in his death, burial, and resurrection, then we can have salvation as well. So my question is, have you trusted in Jesus for your salvation or are you trusting in something or someone else? We must make sure we're clear on what the gospel is. And in verse 8, he says that we're to remember the gospel. 
I, I added the tagline to it that we're to remember the gospel is unbound. And let me kind of explain what I mean by that. What I mean by the gospel is unbound is this. The message of salvation and hope for life will not be stopped. All throughout the book of Acts, and last week we talked about this, we were reminded that nothing can thwart God's plan. Do you remember what the last word of the book of Acts is? Depending on your translation, it's not hindered or unhindered. And what we said about that was that God's word will go out into the world and advance regardless of what obstacles may be in the way. And so what we see here is that Paul says the same sort of thing here in verse 9. In verse 9, Paul says, I'm suffering. He says, I'm bound with chains as a criminal. But then he says after that, but the word of God is not bound. So the word of God is not bound is not the same Greek word as unhindered or not hindered, but it's a similar concept. And what Paul is saying is, even though he personally is bound by chains as a prisoner, that's not preventing the finished work of Jesus Christ being communicated to others. The gospel is never bound. I don't care what nation it is and whether they say it's illegal to hand out Bibles or not or to share your faith or to proselytize someone to come to faith. No one and nothing can bound or bind the gospel. We said last week, really the only one that can try to do that would be ourselves, where I'm not a willing participant in sharing the gospel. Paul says, I don't care what my physical status shows, the gospel is not bound. It's effective. We're to boldly proclaim the gospel. Nothing will stop it. We're to live it out in our own lives. Knowing that if the gospel is not bound, then that means no matter what difficulty comes my way, I can endure because the gospel is not bound. I want us to be a church that's full of disciples who make disciples who make disciples. I want us to be a place where we're a a disciple-making church that glorifies God. And the only way that we can do all of that is by focusing on the gospel. The gospel is not simply the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection so that I can be saved. It is that. But that truth, that gospel truth, that gospel deposit then carries all throughout my life, guiding and instructing me to live for God's glory. So my question for us this morning is this. How are you to focus on the gospel? What specific next step is God calling you to take? For some of you, it's salvation. You need to focus on the gospel in your own life by saying yes to salvation based on what Christ has done for you, to receive God's grace by faith through repentance of your sins and trusting in Jesus. Others of you need to focus on the gospel by seeing your need to be growing in your faith and your understanding of Jesus. You're already a believer, but you need to grow in your discipleship Perhaps you need to be including some spiritual disciplines like we're talking about in my class or maybe some things you hear on Sunday mornings. You're wanting to put those into practice, but the reality is the only way we can do that is by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, empowering us and enabling us to do so. But maybe you need to focus on the gospel as it pertains to your discipleship. And along those lines, as you should be making disciples of others.
Others of you, maybe you need to focus on the, the gospel for endurance for whatever it is you're facing in life. I don't know exactly what God is calling you to do, but I am, I am, <clears throat> I am confident of the fact that he's calling you and I to focus on the gospel. See, I can stand up here all day long and say, let's go out and be a church that makes that, that's filled of disciples who make disciples. And we may not be clear on what that means. And we may not be living it out. Unless, we're not living it out unless we're focusing first and foremost on the gospel and its truth and its ramifications for our lives. This morning, as we finish up this sermon time and we get ready for a response time, one of the things we're going to do this morning is we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And so the Lord's Supper is available here for anyone who is a follower of Jesus. And there's a table here, a table here, there's two in the back. We have some gluten-free crackers, and I think they're on this table and that table, I think. And in just a moment, if you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're a member of our church or not, you're invited to receive the Lord's Supper if you choose to do so. I'd ask you to pray and prepare your heart for that. We're going to have some music where you can do that very thing. And then when you're ready, you can get up and go get the bread and the, 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 the juice and then take it back to your seat and we'll take it all together. But as I'm thinking about what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, he says, remember. He says, remember Jesus Christ, <clears throat> risen from the dead. <clears throat> one way that we remember the gospel, one way we remember these things we've talked about is with the Lord's Supper. I don't know whether you grew up in a traditional church or if you grew up in church at all but if you grew up in a traditional church like i did or not but at our church there was a lord's supper table right here at the front right and on the front edge of it were the words do this in remembrance of me and we might look at that and go oh my goodness that looks like 80 uh church furniture no it's actually scripture like the reason we take the lord's supper is in remembrance of what christ has done on our behalf and so if we're going to talk about remembering the gospel, what better way than to tangibly remember the gospel by tasting the bread and tasting the juice? And that word remember, like I said, is a biblical concept. It comes from 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is talking about what it means to take the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, here's what it says. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks and broke it, he said this. Jesus said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are called by God's word, by God himself, by the words of Paul uh, that are written, uh, sorry, the words of Jesus that are written down by Paul to remember what Christ has done on our behalf from now until he comes again and to praise him for what he's done. And so this morning, as we receive this, 
May we remember what Christ has done on our behalf. I'm going to voice a prayer, and then after the prayer, there'll be some music playing. Please take just a minute or two or however long you need to prepare your hearts, and then you can go get the bread and the juice if you're going to take Lord's Supper this morning, front and back. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for something like the Lord's Supper that is a physical, literal, tangible remembrance of what he has done for us. So in just a moment, God, as we taste this bread and this juice, may it cause us to remember the broken body of Christ and his shed blood for our salvation. And may it propel us out to live out the truth of the gospel and to share that with others in our world. May you be glorified in our lives as we seek to be a place that's filled with disciples who make disciples who make disciples. But may may it be grounded on your gospel. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Take a moment to pray and reflect. And then after you get the elements, just take them back to your seat and we'll take them together. So the evening that Jesus gathered with his disciples, the evening that he would then go and pray and anticipate his arrest and his crucifixion the next day, he gathered with his disciples and they celebrated the annual celebration of Passover, which had always meant one thing to them that they didn't really fully understand would then be connected to the Messiah. And Jesus said, not only are we celebrating what God has done in the past as he brought rescue and and salvation of life in the sense that the boys would not have been killed of the Israelite people as they're awaiting to leave Egypt, the Passover actually points towards what I'm about to do. Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body that's about to be broken. And as you take it, Take it in remembrance of me. And then after the bread, he took the wine. This is juice, but he took the wine. As he poured it out, the color would remind them of blood. He says, this wine represents the blood. The blood of mine that's going to be poured out. It's the new covenant. Because of my death, burial, and resurrection, I will bring salvation. He says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Father, we come to you as I taste this juice, I'm reminded of what Christ has done for us. We remember Jesus Christ, the one risen from the dead. We remember Jesus Christ, the one who paid the price for our sin. We remember the gospel message 
We remember the need to preach it to the world. We remember the need to endure in the gospel to the end. Father, I pray that our eating a cracker and drinking some juice would not just be an empty exercise, but that instead it would cause us to reflect and remember Jesus Christ. And that by our remembrance that we would then go out and share the gospel with those around us. May we be a place that is filled with disciples who make disciples who make disciples for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.